Welcome in to the OMR Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Peterson. We have a very special and a very important episode for you today as we are speaking with EU Commissioner for Competition, Marguerite Vestager. If you don't know who Vestager is, you probably should, as she is tasked with regulating big tech, whether it's Amazon, Apple, Facebook, or Meta, or Google. She has repeatedly taken them to court in an effort to level the playing field, as it were. And while not every lawsuit has yielded a win, she does have some very high-profile victories under her belt, including last week's historic 4 billion euro fine levied against Google for antitrust violations. Furthermore, she has passed two pieces of landmark legislation in the past 12 months, the Digital Services Act and the Digital Markets Act. In this episode of the OMR podcast, Marguerite is speaking with OMR CEO Philip Westermeyer about regulating big tech, combating tech lobbyists whose pockets are far deeper than we can possibly imagine, and what steps she's eyeing next to regulate big tech. All of that and more right now in the OMR podcast. Yeah, welcome to the OMR podcast, Ms. Vestager. I think um, a long-time goal of mine to, to talk to you. Thanks for coming. Um, well, thank you very much for having me. <laughs> yeah, I think um, everybody who cares um, about digital business um, has heard of you and knows your story a little bit. You're from Denmark. Um, your parents are both pastors, I think. And then you mm -hmm. made your way into the government. By the age of 29, you were already in the government. Um, now you're look, already looking back at a long career in the EU, um, and mostly are focusing on, on tech topics, regulation, competition. What's your biggest success so far? Well, you know, uh, I'm not really done yet. Uh, but as you say, so far, um, uh, if I can tell you an, an anecdote, um, I, was, uh, I was in a cafe here in Brussels uh, with my youngest daughter. And uh, when we're leaving, there's a woman who's stopping us and she's she's addressing my daughter and she says, you can be really proud of your mom. Mm -hmm. And my daughter's like, mm, what, what is this? Uh, this is not her normal state of mind. And, and the woman says, well, you know, I, I have a small brewery and, uh, and what your mom has done has made it better for me uh, to have this small brewery because now I have a more fair access to the market. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, That, that is what gets me out of bed in the morning, that you have, you know, fairness in the marketplace, that you have a fair chance of making it. Mm -hmm. and, and this is also the background for the regulation that we have been passing lately, the Digital Markets Act, the Digital Services Act, that, that we make the market work for people. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think it's too early uh, to call it a success because it's not alone a success to pass. Regulation, it's a success to implement regulation. So it has a real everyday effect uh, and enables people uh, to have a better use of the internet and for the market to be more fair so that the many, many, many smaller businesses can get to their customers. Is it uh, like fairness, the most important value, or is it supporting Europe. I mean, it's not always the same, I think. I mean, sometimes I feel like regulation in some countries, it's also protecting the, the country in China. It's, it's a big topic, like, like how they protect their own people. And, and, and in Europe, it feels like fairness is, 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 is the most, is this the highest goal you just mentioned it. Or should it be like protecting our people? Is that the same for you? Well, uh, for me, it's two sides of the same coin. Um, because if, for instance, if you look at 
at sort of our innovation ecosystems. Take an amazing uh, Dutch business as uh, ASML. Mm-hmm. So they are the world-class provider of the equipment you need to produce uh, chips, mm-hmm. semiconductors. Mm-hmm. But they are not alone. They, they rely on a network of hundreds of smaller businesses in order for themselves to be absolutely astonishing. Mm-hmm. And, and if you look at the, the startup environment, the innovative environment in Europe, you find many, many small businesses. You might find many, many small entrepreneurs. And, and this, is, this is why fairness and enabling what is European is two sides of the same coin. Because none of these smaller businesses would have a chance if they were not seen and respected and could enjoy an open market access. Then the big guy would just crush them. Are you sometimes concerned that there's uh, not that many European tech companies that compete on, that can compete on the highest level? We don't have that many companies that are worth, let's say, over 100 billion in market cap. Maybe we have like one or two or three mm-hmm. across all of Europe and, and there's several in, in China and in, in, in the US. Is that a concern? Yes, uh, it is, uh, because I think we, we, we failed to do a number of things uh, 10 years ago. Uh, we failed to provide a digital single market. We failed uh, to provide a capital market where you find sufficiently risk-willing capital, uh, sufficient amounts of capital that is willing to go in and provide risk-willing capital and the competences it needs to scale the market. Now we have been working on, on both these two issues, uh, but also, you know, the direction of of digitization of technology uh, has started a new chapter because we are on on sort of the beginning of the sort of the huge scale business to business uh, digitization Uh, because now everything digitalizes Mm -hmm. agriculture uh, transport uh, energy uh, health uh, industry obviously so Since Europe uh, has an industrial culture, an entrepreneurial culture, we have been de- de- delivering, you know, machinery for the entire world. We have a renewed chance of making it, and of course, making it big in in this new business to business endeavor uh, that is that is uh, taking off these years. Mm-hmm. Um- Is, is there any like particular company? I mean, like obviously you're like looking at regulation a lot and, and like thinking about competition for European companies a lot. Is there any like foreign or especially US companies that you think are worrisome for the European consumer in particular? Well, you you know, I'm uh, my my job description is is not to be at war with some specific companies. My job description is to um, watch out for uh, illegal behavior. You know, companies who do not follow the European rulebook, even though they do great business in Europe. And and one of the things that, of course, concerns me is that I've had not one, not two, but three already finished Google cases. Uh, now I have another one, uh, a big one on the ad tech stack. I've had uh, two Amazon cases. Now I have a third one. Uh, I have a Facebook case uh, and I have one, two, three Apple cases. So, of course, I see that there is um, a behavior in, in some uh, foreign-based companies that's, that is simply not what you expect in Europe. But what we see is in the European rulebook and which is respected by European companies. 
And that, of course, will have to be corrected. And this is one of the reasons why we have, have called in regulation to complement what we can do uh, with the specific competition cases, which is the, the Digital Markets Act, which will change uh, how the market will work, and then the Digital Services Act, which will qualify um, both on the product side, but also on the content side, how, how to deal with the fact that uh, real-world uh, rules actually also apply in the digital reality. I mean, out of those two acts, in short, I mean, there's there's like long and complicated um, uh, rules behind them. Um, what is like the most important like outcome of each of them in, in like one sentence? Like, what do you think is they should deliver? Well, the Digital Markets Act uh, should deliver that giant companies are, uh, you know, given a label as gatekeeper. And if you are a gatekeeper, you get a number of do's and don'ts. So that the fact that you can potentially keep the gate of the market doesn't ruin the marketplace. So that, you know, normal sized businesses, startup, mid-sized, whatever, that they get a fair chance in the marketplace. And the Digital Services Act will make sure that everything that we sort of consider to be uh, normal uh, is also being um, taken care of when digital. For instance, that a marketplace should know their customers so that their business customers are not someone who's selling, you know, fake stuff or dangerous stuff or something that cannot be complained about, you know, where consumers have no rights. Mm -hmm. That a marketplace needs to make sure that these different markets, they are actually real people. And, and the second thing that uh, if, if something is taken down and, and there is a lot of crap uh, online and part of that is illegal, hate speech, bum recipes, whatever, it needs to be taken down. But if you are in a gray zone, then for reasons of freedom of expression, of course, you need to be able to know if your post is taken down and that you can do something about it. And I think that is the benefit uh, of the Digital Services Act that it provides these new mechanisms to make what we do online so much safer. I mean, out of all the examples that you've given and all the problems we are facing in digital, um, which one is like, the most pressing to you that you'd like to solve the most and that you think is the most beneficial to society when solved? Oh, it's really, there's, uh, you know, the, the running up of, uh, of problems to be solved. Uh, it's, it's quite a long list. Um, But, but one thing is absolutely fundamental, and, and that is that we need, uh, we, need the, uh, we need democracy to work. We cannot have it that decisions that shapes our society is taken in boardrooms. That kind of decision shaping our society, they must be taken by people that we have elected. And that may sound like an, an abstraction and, and something very far away, but but we basically see it in, in everyday life. Uh, uh, take you know the uh, the new rule that an a um, uh, an operating system um, provider uh, must enable uh, more than one app store. You know if you don't. If you, if you go shopping for, for bread or milk or vegetables, whatever, if you're not happy with the quality of the produce, you go, to some, you go somewhere else. That you cannot do on, on your gadget. 
And and I think to to sort of say, well, you need to be normal. You need to enable that things really work so that we as consumers have choice. I think that that is a rule that democracy have set ages ago that has been contradicted in a boardroom. I think about time that democracy comes back and sets the rules straight. I mean, that sounds absolutely reasonable and, and, and wishful for our society. Um, still, I, I read a lot about how there's so many lobbyists trying to influence you and trying to, uh, you know, hinder you with that legislation. Um, and then there's like these companies are spending hundreds of millions and tons of lobbyists than Brussels and in Washington as well. Um, can you describe how, how that works? I mean, are there actually like people inviting you to dinner every night or are there, how is, what's the environment like? What's the, what, how do they reach you? Well, well, from very early on, uh, I've had the rule that, that I don't meet lobbyists. Uh, if a CEO wants to, to pass a message, uh, of course, we can have a meeting. But, but, you know, I cannot meet with someone who's paid just to impose a message on you. Um, that doesn't mean that I don't meet it because then, of course, I meet it secondhand. Mm -hmm. um, I meet it because uh, they, they go to people uh, um, that will go to me and then say, no, maybe it will not work. Or they they will uh, sort of have um, sort of in in, in inverted commas uh, NGOs uh, seemingly with with you know small businesses app developers whomever but there will be a giant behind them mm -hmm. uh, and of course we also see that they are very active uh, in the European Parliament uh, and and so of course you see it but. One of the, I think, important trainings that you need in, in my position and, and as a politician is that you have a, an ear for criticism, mm -hmm. that things are not well thought through and that solutions could be better, and lobbyism. So that you have a closed ear for lobbyism, but an open ear for criticism, because what you have proposed is not good enough yet. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, like the 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 job you do is, is is quite important, or maybe maybe crucial for the future of of our, of our continent. Um, how big is your team? Who's helping you doing that? I mean, how how is the organization built? Like, who's around you around Margaret Vestager? <laughs> well, you know, my uh, my private office or, or my cabinet, as as you call it, is uh, is around 25 people in total, mm -hmm. and then I I rely on. Um, on the uh, sort of the ministry or, or the uh, directorate that does competition, which is give or take 900 people. Uh, and then, of course, I work with all the other services uh, of the European Commission who uh, hold expertise in all these many different uh, areas. Uh, but I think one, one thing that has really impressed me, having worked in this uh, system now for, for quite some years, is that You know, we can never, ever outnumber the lobbyists or, or the lawyers of some of these hyperscalers. But, but the level of dedication, uh, you know, in, in my staff and the synergies when people form a team, I think actually allows us to, you know, actually to, to, to do something that is really, really useful, despite not ever being able to hire the same number of lawyers. 
I totally trust that. Um, still, I want to ask you, what, what, what over the past years, what's been your biggest defeat, like fighting for your cause and, and, and being in that job, in that office? Well, some of the things that, that I have found to be, uh, you know, concerning and, and, and difficult is the fact that when, when, for instance, I have a competition case, we, we give a fine to punish past behavior. We say that the company will have to stop what they're doing and they cannot put anything in place that would have the same effect. And then as a third thing, they will have to repair the harm that they have done. And, and the last thing is really, really difficult because harm happens so fast in digital markets. You know, time is really, really, really of the essence so, so I think that it has been, been uh, you know, difficult and sad to see that actually in, in some markets, illegal behavior has been successful because competitors have died. Mm. Any, any like, example that comes to mind uh, immediately? Well, if you, if you look at, we had a, a case about Google that is called the AdSense case, which is about uh, sort of an intermediary position in, in the advertising supply chain. And, and when we got to that, and actually we were relatively fast, it took us, I think, uh, two years to do the case uh, from the time that we discovered that there may be illegal behavior uh, at stake here. When we were done, you know, the company, it was Google, was completely dominant. There was no competition left. And when there's no competition left, well, there's, there's no, nothing to, to rebuild. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is another reason why uh, these two pieces of new legislation is important, because it will it will set the records straight from the start, uh, and not wait for us to discover illegal behavior. We will still need to be out there on the watch for for new uh, illegal things that someone may come up with, but it will give us a much better chance to be fast enough for other businesses, for, for rivals, uh, for competitors uh, to big, big tech companies not to die in the meantime. I mean, are you in, in discussions here and there or like talking to um, European tech leaders or entrepreneurs once in a while, like people that you can mention that, that give you advice that you turn to and ask questions? Are you talk, talking to Daniel Eck of Spotify or sometimes I, Matthias Döpfner here in Germany or like who are the people that, that, that you turn to like that actually like lead those European companies? Well, yes, I, I, I speak with, uh, with European leaders. Uh, I have uh, very good advisors uh, here. Uh, I try to stay as informed uh, as possible and, so to speak, uh, on mission. Um, because uh, Europe should be open for business, but Europe should have one rule book. And, um, of course, I see that a, a lot of Europeans are really happy with the services of, uh, of foreign tech providers. And that, of course, is perfectly fine if they play by the book. Mm. And, um, and I think now, as said, since we are entering a, a new chapter of digitization, where it's more business to business, where we are in a race for, for, uh, for the discovery of the quantum computer combined with the quantum software to make that something that is actually scalable and a real thing, uh, when we push for... Uh, more security in, in our fiber, uh, experimenting and developing uh, open RAN, um, I think is really, really, really important uh, that, that Europe sort of assesses the strength 
uh, that we have and, and build on that. Because one of the downsides of Europe is that sometimes we're actually too timid uh, about our qualities. Uh, but when I speak to business leaders, you know, I see amazing businesses that has been built also relatively fast that still holds a lot of potential. Who do you have on your European, like, uh, Decacorn or, you know, Centacorn watch list? I mean, what, what companies do you, do you see here across Europe that you think, wow, they could actually be competing on, on, the, on the highest level? Oh, I, I should not be the one to, to, to pinpoint <laughs> that. That would not be fair to all the many that I could not mention. So I, I will not do that. Okay. okay. Um, I mean, you say you, you stay informed. Do you follow like how, for instance, a company like, like Meta, like Facebook, how they are, in, in, in like I think in, in, in other circles, informed circles, people discuss how they're losing some relevance. I mean, they lost a lot of market capitalization. They, they seem to uh, be losing some ground in, 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 in a lot of areas. Facebook is losing users. Um, Do you feel like that maybe those those tech monopolies um, they come and go? Is that an example for a company that might even be already leaving? I think it's too early to conclude, um, but it seems if you look sort of uh, at the longer economic history that those who were dominant, if you can make sure that they can be challenged, then eventually they will not be dominant anymore, because uh, the problem for a dominant company is very often that they, you know, they stay too long on their blockbusters uh, because, you know, it's easy. It's, it's, it makes you money and, uh, and you can fend off, uh, you know, upcoming competition, but only to a certain point. And, uh, and when you see, uh, for instance, the scandals uh, surrounding um, Facebook, now Meta, like the Facebook Cambridge Analytica scandal, Uh, the, the information provided uh, by Francis Hogan, uh, you see that mm, at least something is not what it was supposed to be. But I think it's way too early to conclude. What one should do is to make sure that, that there is a full engagement, uh, both, of course, the sets uh, changing what may be um, illegal and then making sure that the many strengths uh, that is here, that they are being played out in full. Um, and, and then, of course, also to follow, uh, I, I know that Facebook took the name of, of Meta, but, but they have no, you know, nothing like a monopoly uh, on the development of the metaverse. Uh, most of the gaming industry are developing the metaverse. Uh, a lot of different providers uh, are getting there. And, and, and one of the things that, that we are considering, of course, is we need to make sure that uh, the rules that we have for good and legal behavior, that they also apply in full in the metaverse so that it can develop competitively. I mean, if, if I may use these business terms, but are, are you uh, bullish on the metaverse yourself? I mean, are you, are you actually believing in the, these like, uh, you know, future scenarios of we all like acting in the metaverse? Well, I think it's, uh, I think it's an, it's an interesting uh Uh, discussion and it, it's an interesting sort of thought palace that is being built right now because it's capturing our imagination. Uh, but one of the, the things, of course, that makes me concerned is if we allow technology, uh, be that you know, uh, Sudoku on my on my iPhone or or the most advanced metaverse, if we allow that to steal our time, uh, because time is the, is the one sort of completely final budget that we have. And, uh, and it's really important that we're not allowing ourselves to be sucked into something 
where we are just the consumer or the data point uh, or, or the gamer or, or the, the, the data point on which you can make money. But we still have the time to be the creator, the interactor, the friend, uh, the spouse uh, um, with, with real people. And, and that, of course, is, I think is, is a, as important discussion uh, when we, it comes to technology that there are limits as to how it can enrich human lives. I mean, when, when, when I follow your work, one issue that seems to connect here is, is the dark patterns that, that you try to fight against. I mean, is that like coming to your mind as well, like now that you think the metaverse could be like the wonderland for, for dark patterns where like uh, consumers are sucked into stuff without even realizing? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, uh, of magic. I, I really, I really love it Okay. because here, you know, it is labeled, you're about to be tricked. You, you know what is going to happen. You know, don't know how it's happening, but you know, you're about to be tricked. The problem with dark patterns is that you have no idea. You are being tricked. You are being, you know, led into a certain direction. Uh, you are being, you know, manipulated Uh, to do things that you would otherwise not have done, have you thought about it? Uh, and and this is this is why I think it's really really important uh, what is in the Digital Services Act that dark patterns they are not allowed. Is it like a notification already a dark pattern in your mind, or like a you know like a gamification of an app? I mean the the the, the border to like normal behavior and then behavior that is created by dark patterns is is is, is quite hard to tell, right? Yes, it is hard to tell. Also because Of course, there are patterns that are, that are really useful. Uh, you know, if if I want to to uh, uh, push on, you know, and uh, a press release uh, where I myself are quoted about something, I think which is quite good that that we have done in the commission. You know, Twitter would say to me, "Shouldn't you read this article be before you push it on?" Uh, and that is in my book, positive nudging, but is and and it's quite obvious. But it's it's a it's a sort of quite rough example of of the fact that there is nudging that makes us rethink, reconsider, pause a bit uh, before we enter into something. And and as long as it's obvious, uh, I think it's a different category because the, the point of dark patterns is exactly that they are not obvious, that they are not labeled, that they are not declared. We will try to trick you. Um, I, I think that is, of course, why they are uh, frightfully effective. Can you name one dark pattern that you like really like uh, detested the most? Oh no, there are many candidates. Um, I, I, I wouldn't. I, I know. I, I wouldn't. Do you have one that you detest the most? I mean, not not for myself, but like right now, I'm I'm a little afraid for my kids with like the whole story around TikTok. I mean, I, I see TikTok coming, and I mean the the, the whole platform sometimes is, is is so perfect in in terms of you know uh, from the business side, and it's one black pattern. I mean, you get sucked into it. I, I notice it myself. I'm stuck, getting sucked into it, and I'm wondering like how is it going to be for young people that don't have this professional experience um, to be on, on on such a platform that is so so well done. Um, and so to, to me, that that platform seems to be like one walking dark pattern well yes I'm, I'm i'm not on tiktok and and that is not only because i don't dance well <laughs> okay 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 um i mean you have kids right yes i do w at what age did you allow them to use a cell phone well you know they are now they're 19 23 and 26 
So they're allowed um, now. Yes, they're allowed <laughs> now. Uh, but what I saw was that the oldest she got her first phone much later than the youngest one, uh, and I, I think that is a pattern that we have allowed younger and younger children uh, to have access to technology and also to have access to uh, smartphones, tablets, where the use of technology is so intuitive that a two-year-old can use it. And, and that concerns me because, you know, we have done really uh, good work to make sure that there are no dangerous chemicals in feeding bottles or clothing or whatever for children. But we're not labeling, uh, you know, uh, a tablet or a smartphone uh, that here you should be concerned because it may affect the development of your child. Uh, and I, I, uh, I would be very uh, cautious if I had small children today uh, to say we, we need to allow room and space for uh, the development uh, of, uh, of the human brain without the rewards uh, that comes from, for instance, the playing of, uh, of games uh, in, in what you find on a smartphone or a tablet. Um, you, you met um, many of the, the tech leaders that actually produce all those products we talk about um, in person, like a Tim Cook and a Mark Zuckerberg. When you met them in person, um, were you surprised whether, I mean, that they're actually like humble and, 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 and you know, well-behaved people or like were you shocked that they are like how, how greedy they maybe are? What was your impression when, when, when meeting the people that you actually like, about whose products you think about so much? Uh, well, I, I have a rule. I never refer from, from private meetings and, and I, I tend not to give, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think one should judge uh, other, other people in, in public like that. But I, I met so many CEOs in my work, both from, from digital companies and non-digital companies. And, and one thing is, is obvious from these many, many meetings is that CEOs are as different as other people. Uh, the only uh, thing they really often has, has in common is that they're men. But I don't think actually that sort of a male stereotype uh, is sufficiently broad uh, to cover the differences I have seen in, in the many, many, many CEOs that I have met so far. And, and that is one, I think, of the comforting thing, that even though the business community could be so much, much more diverse, Uh, in terms of, uh, of gender, color, age, uh, then there is still a lot of diversity in how you look at doing business, what you want to achieve uh, and how you want to achieve it. And, and that is, I think, for me, it, it's a comforting experience. Any, anybody in particular that you liked, uh, that you think is doing a like well-balanced job between business interest and, and social interest? I mean, any, anybody that, that like, stuck out? Well, actually, quite a number, but you know, I don't want to to make anybody think that they have a a blank check uh, to do whatever, because you know, maybe in a couple of years we need to look over their shoulders to see <laughs> if they have engaged in something that they shouldn't. Yeah. Um, one topic I wanted to, to discuss with you is, is is journalism. I mean, we try to do like journalism in a way for for at least for our niche. Um, and I'm, I'm I've been working at a, at a huge publishing house a long time ago here in Germany, Gruner and Ja. Um, it, it, it ceased to exist uh, a couple of days ago. In Now it's, it's RTL, so so a huge publishing house, uh, publishing house basically died, and they're all in trouble. Um, 
what's your perspective on the on the on the on the media scene? I mean, in 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 the US, I think there's like a lot of regions where there's no local newspapers anymore. Um, are we just entering a new age and it's all going to be good, or is it worrisome to you that journalism is is like is such a economic problem, problematic situation? No, I I think we need to to reinvent the pub the the local media. Uh, because we need to know what is going on. And, and of course, it has, it has changed our approach that we know a lot about what is uh, going on in, on the other side of the planet. And it's important that we know and realize uh, that living conditions are so very different. I think that is increasing our understanding of, uh, of climate change and so very important. But we also need to know our community And, and, you know, the, the social media is, is not building community. Uh, it is sometimes building echo chambers. Uh, it, is, it is providing, you know, a, a, um, a feed for you that is very often very much the same thing. Uh, because democracy needs uh, journalists. Uh, democracy needs journalists that can work uh, in free, that uses the access to uh, or the transparency of, of institutions like mine so that powerful people uh, like myself can be, uh, you know, criticized and looked after. And, and we need to, to, uh, to reinvent this uh, because democracy without journalists, uh, I think, will be short-lived. And, and, and any idea how to do that? I mean, it seems like time is running out. I mean, it seems like the, the economic pressures are, are growing and growing. And then, as I just mentioned, there's publishing houses like struggling more and more now with the paper prices increasing, like uh, the print colleagues and, 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 you know, with like the, you know, uh, recession times, maybe even, you know, advertising shrinking. So, so any idea on, on how to actually like make this happen, how to give journalism a new chance? Well, the, the crisis that we have now is 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 hard on everyone. Uh, you know, from from the most uh, vulnerable households who see you know a half or more of their income being eaten by their electricity bill, uh, to businesses who struggle to to pay for for their supplies. I, I think there is a more long term trend uh, that we need to address. Um, colleagues of mine are, are working on a media freedom act. Um, The legislation on, on copyrights uh, should also give, you know, more uh, fair share uh, of what is actually being uh, awarded. So, you know, we are trying to push so that media, publishers, journalists get a stronger position uh, in society uh, while at the same time fighting uh, uh, the fights against journalists. Because, you know, in, in Europe, we have had journalists that are being killed. We have journalists who are exposed to uh, harassment uh, by lawsuits. And that, of course, we, we fight as much as we can because it, uh, it is put in place to silence you uh, if you're dragged into court and, and your mental space and your resources will have to, to, to go into that. So, so for my colleagues and, and me here where I work, you know, it's high priority uh, to fight the fight against journalists and to see what can we do for publishers, for media, for journalists, uh, being able to do their job. Mm -hmm. I mean, Australia is, is, is there's like uh, some some activities coming out of Australia. I, I'm not exactly familiar with them, but it seems like they are um, asking the platforms to pay more, pay out more to to media outlets when, when using their content, etc. Right? Is that something you follow? Yes, uh, I follow that, but also I, I follow what happens in France uh, very well. 
they were the first uh, to implement the copyright directive. And the French Competition Authority took a very active stance um, in, in, uh, in this area. And that has enabled uh, quite a lot of deals between, uh, I think in this case, Google and the publishers in order uh, to have a payment. I don't know the details uh, of the contracts that has been made, but, but you know, that double pressure from, from new legislation on copyright and the competition authorities stepping in uh, to make sure that, that where there were uh, unfair trading practices uh, at stake, that the balance between the negotiating partners uh, was more equal, uh, we could actually see that they uh, achieved results. If, if you had like one idea, one concept that you could push through without having to go through all the institutions, without having to like accept pushback and, and corrections and, 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 and shrinking the idea, what would it be? What, you, what issue do you think really needs to be pushed through and, and implemented um, the way it's thought up by you maybe currently? Oh, wow. Such a magic wand. Um It's always a bit tricky because a genie in a bottle can also, you know, really uh, turn its head on you. Um, no, I'd say one of the things I would really wish would that would be that the tech community was more diverse. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, technology is shaping our societies. And, uh, and, and we try to do our best to make sure that technology is serving society, that people feel that they can use technology to, to create societies where... where that are livable. But I, I think that if the tech community would be more diverse, uh, more women, more generations, uh, you know, more colorful, um, it would, it would be easier for technology to develop in a way, uh, that developed society and where everyone thought that they were empowered. Because I think right now, a lot of people, they, they feel that they are just a data point that they're just there for someone else to make money. And, and that, I think, is so far away from what I wish for each and every one of us uh, as how we see ourselves and, and how we see ourselves in society. So, so in a way, you would also wish for more people to actually participate in, in politics? Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. And, and also to see politics in a much broader way than having to enter a party and having to run for elections and having you know, to have a, a political career. But, but to enter into, into the politics of, uh, of your, of your neighborhood, uh, you know, be more active, uh, where you work to say, well, I have my job, but I also, you know, want to contribute, uh, uh, in, in other ways. Um, and I think in, in particular, uh, there is a need for, for more women, uh, to take part in some of these really, really essential, uh, developments. Um, Uh, there are so many uh, female uh, entrepreneurs and startups. They have huge difficulties in getting funding. Uh, so, you know, the most difficult thing to change in the world is culture. So if I really had a magic wand, it would be to deal with a culture that disables women to play their full role. Because I think it will also serve men very well because then the male role could be much more diverse than what we see today. What were you thinking when your um, Finnish colleague, Sanna Marin, the prime minister, a couple of days ago was going through the media with her personal social media dance uh, situation? I'm sure you followed that. What were you thinking when, when you followed the, this, this whole reporting on, the, on, on, on those incidents? 
I was like, has the world gone crazy? <laughs> you know, what an amazing uh, prime minister. Uh, and I think you are a much better prime minister uh, if you dance. <laughs> okay. okay. Because, you know, no, I, I really mean that if you just work, 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 and you never sort of zoom out and get your shoulders down, then I, I think there is a risk that your work is not good enough. Uh, because we want human people to, to, to govern us. Uh, and I think that is exactly what they got in Finland. Is it, what's your outlook for Europe? I mean, are you, I mean, there's so much talk and, and the media is full of problems. Um, uh, the war, obviously, recession, inflation, uh, energy, there's so many things. Is your outlook on Europe uh, accordingly uh, problematic and, 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 and concerned? Are you like optimistic? Like, how is Europe in, in five to ten years? Well, as you say, uh, I don't think we have had this many crises before. And, and looking back, uh, we have actually been in, in a critical situation for a very long time. You know, financial crisis, refugee crisis, pandemic. Uh, energy crisis, biodiversity crisis, uh, war uh, in Europe, and, and the climate uh, change urgency that is making everything worse. And, and, you know, it has made me realize that there is, there's nothing to turn back to. It is as if behind us, you know, there is just a cliff. Um, so in, in going forward, in, in, in managing all these critical situations uh, so that people see that they are seen and heard in, when they are suffering. We, we need to manage these crises while preserving, you know, what we want to achieve long-term, uh, like being, you know, a, a, a carbon-neutral continent, like making sure that societies are, are not polarized uh, and that digitization work for people. Um Because if we only handle all these crises day by day and we lose sort of sight of where we want to go, we'll never get to where we want to go. Uh, and this is, of course, why what we have been discussing about technology, how we, how we regulate it, how we govern it, that is why this is so important because that gives this perspective. We actually do know where we want to get to. And, and if you know that day to day, then it becomes, I think, Maybe not easier, but uh, but your your crisis management will be better. Do, do you follow developments in, in climate tech a little bit? I mean, obviously, climate change is maybe the most mm -hmm. uh, fundamental of all these problems and most like long term. Um, uh, are you close to the developments there? I mean, in the end, that, that's that's where technology is supposed to help us or like maybe save us. Yeah, there, there will be no fighting climate change without technology. Yeah. It's, it's not doable because what we need is, is a completely different sort of resource management. And that can only be done with digital tools. Um, so, so, you know, it's, it's really important. We, we cannot have a well-functioning uh, electricity market without a digital management of that. Uh, we cannot, you know... Um, Tech resources that we need to reuse uh, without digital. You know, we're in the process, there is a giant process to, to digitalize uh, batteries. 
so that we know uh, when, for how long they can be recharged and when they should be uh, put in, maybe serve, you know, more passive uh, uh, energy storage uh, use and when they should be fully uh, uh, dissembled uh, and the resources to put into another use. You know, there are hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of examples of, of climate tech that is absolutely uh, essential. Um, so, so, so this must be, but, but the thing is that we will have no transition if it's not perceived and is for real a fair transition. If people feel left behind, no real digital transition. If people feel left behind, no really uh, fighting climate change. So, so everything comes together. And, and that, of course, is, uh, is making it really important that one can breathe and relax and take action also in extremely complex situations. But, but you're confident those, I mean, like, I imagine you're like in the middle of everything and there's so many informations coming to your desk. Um, are you confident this is in the end solvable at all? I mean, there's, there's like a way out of all these troubles? I, I think so. Uh, you know, and, and I see my, my colleagues, uh, uh, European citizens, myself, we in, in invest our lives in, in doing this because the alternative is really, really grim, uh, both when it comes to wilder weather, uh, but also when it comes to, to the societies that we want to live in. You know, right now, the Ukrainians, they, uh, they are sacrificing uh, their lives. Uh, we have hardship in, in Europe and, and a lot of people pay very, very high costs uh, for their heating, for their electricity, for their food. Um, and, and if we don't do anything, well, we will have more wars. We will have higher costs. So, so we have a really grim alternative. Uh, and that's and the fact that, that we have a lot of potential Uh, of course, for someone like me, is 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 really encouraging that mix of a really bad alternative and a lot of potential that we have not unleashed yet. Maybe, maybe last question: um, Are you going to be a politician for life? Is that you like a lifelong career? Or is there like a, a Margaret Vestager in the future imaginable, like somewhere in the business world or outside of politics at all? Well, you know, I never wanted to do politics. Uh, I only <laughs> came into politics, sort of. Uh, Uh, by mistake, because I have difficulties in saying no uh, <laughs> okay. to something that I find to be interesting. Uh, but but what I did before I, I, I was sort of a, a, a real politician was I I would try to you know uh, influence my surroundings to see this. I think this can be done better. So uh, this was my approach from very very early age. So so probably this is not something that will rub off. So in politics or, or somewhere else, if, uh, if what I do can be useful, I think you'd find me there. So there's a future outside of politics, maybe? I, I, well, I, I see that. I see, you know, the huge majority of people, they are living perfectly happy lives uh, <laughs> without politics. So it's, it's obviously doable. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, Margaret, thank you very much um, for doing this um, and, and for, for fighting um, this fight or like, you know, for, for being so 
um, yeah, active active for our continent for for us. In in the end, I, I really trust you're doing this for the right reasons, and, and and really feel like you're doing a good job for Europe here. And thank you, you know, for you know, from me and, and I think from so many listeners. Thank you very much and for it, for doing. You know, this. it's 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 really kind of you to say so. It it means a lot to me. No, but it, but it, it is true. I think. I mean, I talked to so many tech people here in Europe, and they really admire your work. And I think there's, there's a lot of respect and a lot of. I say gratitude, just that there's somebody doing this and, and being deep into the issues and, and um, uh, not not afraid. And um, I think you're really doing a great job there. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much <laughs> for being here. Bye thank bye. you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. bye, -bye. bye, -bye.